Numbers chapter 12, verse 1. The Miriam, who, remember, was the sister of Aaron and Moses, and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman, and they said, Has Yahweh only spoken with Moses? Has he not also spoken through us? And Yahweh heard it. So Aaron and Miriam, the brother and sister of Moses, are angry, bitter at Moses. And at first it says that they're angry that he has married a Cushite or an Ethiopian woman. Now, we don't know, there's nothing, that's all that's mentioned about her. We don't know anything about her before this or after this is the only reference to her. Zipporah has not been, his first wife, has not been mentioned since chapter 18 of Exodus. So we don't know what's happened to Zipporah. We don't know whether Zipporah has died and Moses has remarried a second woman or if Zipporah is still around and Moses is married an additional secondary um, woman and he's in a polygamous relationship. There's a big part of me who feels like he has not married two women at one time because I really have a hard time seeing God tolerating that. God has never directly forbidden polygamy in the First Testament. However, he has indirectly made it really clear that that is not his ideal. Um, by the fact that in Genesis he says the two shall become one flesh, not like the twelve will become one flesh. Um, for this reason, a man and a woman are now complete in the image of God. He's made it very clear that his ideal is a man or a woman. But beyond that, he's never said, you shall not have. Second, um, but every single story display, displays is that way, which is a very common thing in Jewish literature. Narrators in Jewish literature very rarely just straight out forbid or condemn something. You get a lot of laws in the law through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy where God says you will and you will not and that kind of stuff. But beyond that, the narrator kind of invites you into the story. He invites you into the character of God. He invites you into the consequences, both positive and negative, of the character's lives and pretty much says, now that you know the law, now you know the character of God, now you know where he wants him to go, he invites you to then make evaluations, is this a godly thing that is happening or not? And it's basically to the point where, like, if you're truly following God and wanting to know him, you shouldn't have to be told all the time what is right and wrong. And so it's the same thing here with polygamy. God never directly forbids it, but he kind of makes it clear this is not what he wants. Considering that Moses is the prophet of God, the greatest prophet that has ever existed, considering how harshly he's going to be punished when he messes up towards the end of this book, I find it very unlikely that God would allow a polygamous relationship as an incredible example before the entire nation as God's chosen leader. At the same time, there's nothing in the Bible that says she died, Zipporah, and he remarried. So ultimately, we don't know. And that's what they began. Now, it's not wrong for Moses to marry an Ethiopian woman. There is nothing in the Bible forbidding the marry of Ethiopian women. The only people that you're directly forbidden to marry are the people from the Canaanite cultures and someone who is not part of the Abrahamic covenant. So she's made herself a part of the Abrahamic covenant, and she's not a part of these Canaanite cultures that we'll get into in the book of Joshua. Then there's nothing strict um, forbidden. So the question is, why do they have a problem with her? 
Well, as any argument goes between two people, it's usually not that thing that they're arguing about that's the real issue. God moves on and says the real issue is we're your brother and sister. I'm the high priest, as Aaron would say, and Miriam would say, I'm a prophetess, so shouldn't we have equal authority with Moses? So really what it's about is pride and a desire for more power. And that's what it is. And so this is a huge sin against Yahweh because this is not why you're supposed to want leadership in the kingdom of Yahweh. It's completely contrary to his character. So verse 3 says, Now the man of Moses was very humble, more so than any man on the face of earth. Now, most likely Moses did not write this passage because it's kind of hard to say that (laughs) Moses is the most humble man ever as he's writing that. But the point that it's making is this, is that you're going to see a contrast here, and it's really going to stand out in chapter 16 when Korah rebels against Aaron's leadership, that Moses gets what true leadership in the kingdom of God is. And what it is is humility and submissiveness and servanthood to other people. And so if it's about power or authority for you, then you're not really truly the leader of Yahweh. And so what it's saying is that Moses was humble. He's not seeking or grasping the power. In fact, if you remember from the very beginning, Moses didn't want it. He was like, I don't want to do this. I want nothing to do it. And then the last thing we just saw, Moses said, these aren't my people. I don't want anything to do with anything anymore. Like, please, over and over and over again, Moses realizes This is not a good thing. So what you need to realize is, if you are to be a leader of God, it's going to require a lot of sacrifice on your part. You're probably not going to get all the glory that the world assigns to leadership. And you're going to have to deal with really immature, whiny people all the time. And so, because true leaders of God are dealing with the sinfulness of humans and trying to bring them into the image of God. And Miriam and Aaron have completely missed the point. By pointing out that Moses is humble shows that he has gotten the true point of leadership in the kingdom of God. So verse 4, Now Yahweh spoke immediately to Moses and Aaron and Miriam, and the three of you come to the tent of meeting. So the three of them went, and Yahweh came down in the pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent. He then called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. Now, this is scary. (laughs) It's one thing for that pillar of fire and cloud to be on the tabernacle, kind of outside of your camp. But this thing moves and comes roaring down on Aaron and Miriam. Now, other places in the Bible, you need to understand, remember, this is a pillar of cloud and fire. And the pillar of cloud and fire that's moving is what we would call a tornado or a whirlwind. All throughout the Bible, once you step out of this wilderness journey, when you get into other places in the Bible, this is called the whirlwind of God. And every single time the whirlwind of God shows up outside of sitting on top of the tabernacle, it's always in the form of judgment. Probably the clearest and most famous imagery of this is at the very end of Job, where Job has basically declared himself more just than God is. And God shows up at the end and says, God showed up in the whirlwind and said, you want to debate? Then let's debate. And, 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 and Job's response is, I've spoken once, but I'm not going to speak twice. I'm going to cover my mouth and shut up. Okay, so, 
The whirlwind is a very scary scene of judgment from God. And it's coming down on two people, the prophet and the high priest, who have wanted to seize more power for their own sake. That's not going to go over well. Remember, the more authority God gives you, the more he's holding you to, and the greater the consequences of that. And so he speaks to them, and he says, bring them both out. Verse 6, Yahweh said, hear now my word. If there is a prophet among you, um, I, Yahweh, will make myself known to him in a vision. I will speak with him in a dream. My servant Moses is not like this. He is faithful in all my house. And with him I will speak face to face openly and not in riddles. And he will see from the form of Yahweh. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? The anger of Yahweh burned against them and he departed. When the cloud departed from above the tent, Miriam became leprous, or um, remember that's not the best translation there, just full of skin disease. And then Aaron looked at Miriam, and she was covered with a skin disease. Now, this is very significant what Yahweh is saying here. He shows up and says basically a couple of things. First, who chooses prophets of Yahweh? Prophets don't choose to become prophets. I choose prophets. So for you to complain against Moses is really to complain against me. And the second thing he says is that Moses isn't even really a prophet. He's more than a prophet. Because to prophets, I speak in visions and dreams. But to Moses, I have appeared to him face to face. He has literally come into the physical presence of me and actually heard my words and dwelt with me. And so, in a way, as what Yahweh said back in Exodus, he said to Moses, I will make you like a god to Pharaoh, not in a theologically heretical kind of a way, but because Moses has seen God more than anybody else. Therefore, he can better represent who Yahweh is to humans better than anybody else. And so what he's saying is to speak and go against Moses is to go against God. And why were you not afraid to speak out against me? One, because have you not seen what has happened the last year with the people who spoke out against me? And two, you two should know better. You're the high priest and you're the prophet. You should know better. And his immediate result is to strike Miriam with a skin disease. Now remember, skin disease is, is metaphorically and symbolic of sin. Not that everybody who has a skin disease is because they've sinned in some way, but in the same way that skin disease begins to attack and destroy the body is the same way that sin does it internally to your being. And so it becomes a judgment. But the skin disease also makes you unclean, which means she's cast out of the presence of God in the tabernacle and the camp. So Yahweh's response is to kick her out of the Abrahamic community. You wanted to seize power. Now you have nothing. I stripped you down. Now the question is, why isn't Aaron struck? Because he's the high priest. And he has to be clean to serve in the tabernacle. For Aaron to be unclean means that there will be no one who can sacrifice for the sins of the people who come through. So for the sake of the community, God preserves Aaron 
in order to allow him to continue functioning as high priest. The second possibility, too, is, um, not possibly, but the second reason is, that um, Aaron was not, doesn't seem to have been the leader in this rebellion. And if you've, if you've gotten to know Aaron well over the last year or so, Aaron tends to do follow the leader. He seems to be really good at being a high priest, but really bad at like really standing up and being a spinal cord of um, confidence against the people. And so he just tends to kind of follow the flow of everybody. This is probably why he's picked as high priest and not as the prophet, as the leader of the entire nation. And so Miriam probably led this, and he just followed his sister and that, and so he was spared for that reason as well. In the same way that he was spared of the golden calf, and being struck down dead in that sense. And so God spares him. But the other thing is this. There is a, a different kind of a punishment when you see the people that you were co- um, in cohorts with or cahoots with, and they're getting punished and you somehow escaped. Now you could think like, I'm all that and I got away, which some people do. But sometimes there's like this deep shame and guilt and like that comes with everybody else got caught and they're all being punished and I didn't get caught and I'm watching them all get punished and I know I should be there. And so that can bring a different kind of a punishment on you if you are already spiritually sensitive to that kind of stuff. And so Marion could be facing his own sense of internal punishment and guilt as he's watching this happen to his sister and he can't do anything about it. Now, here's the amazing thing. This is where Moses shows why he is the leader. Because Moses' first response is, So Aaron said to Moses, O my Lord, please do not hold this sin against us, in which we have acted foolishly and have sinned. So notice that Aaron is now submitting himself to the authority of Moses, no longer trying to elevate himself. Do not let her be a baby born dead, whose flesh is half consumed when it comes out of its mother's womb. Then Moses cried to Yahweh, Heal her now, O God. And Yahweh said to Moses, If her father had only spit in her face, would she not have been disgraced for seven days? Shut her out from the camp seven days, and afterwards she can be brought back in again. Now there's a cultural thing that if a father wanted to disown a daughter or, or punish her in some kind of way, He could spit in her face publicly. That's not a biblical thing. That's an ancient Near Eastern thing. Okay, And so what God is saying is not like he's going to spit in her face and publicly. What he's saying is if a father of the world will publicly spit in his own daughter's face and restore her after seven days, then how much will the gracious, loving, forgiving God of the universe restore her after you have interceded on their behalf. And so it's kind of like that idea of when Jesus says, if a father of the world gives good gifts to his children who ask, then how much more will your heavenly father give you good gifts when you ask for them? And so that's what God is saying. So God is basically saying, of course I'll restore her. And, but however, she had skin disease and the law requires you to be outside the camp and cleansing yourself for seven days before you can come back. But this is the amazing part. When we think of brothers and sisters wronging each other, we think of the one who got wrong celebrating the punishment of the other brother. Okay, Most of the time we tattle on them and we're like, yeah, look at that, you're getting punished, you get exactly what you deserve. Or my daughters come and make sure that I know the things that their sisters have done 
Dad, they're breaking the rule that you made. <laughs> like, punish them. I want to see this happen. <laughs> but Moses doesn't respond that way. And here's huge. They have directly violated and rebelled against his authority. They've questioned him. They've attacked his character. He has every right to punish them. Yet his immediate response is to intercede on their behalf and ask for forgiveness. This is the love of a true leader. This is not a leader who seeks to say, got you. But a leader who says, I know that you've been caught and I know you've been punished, but I want my leadership and punishment is all about restoration. It's not about getting somebody. It's not about making somebody suffer. It's not about vengeance. No matter what they've done to you, it's about restoring people. And Moses gets it. Moses gets that God punishes not to inflict pain on people, but God punishes to restore people. And so Moses sees this and immediately asks for the restoration of his sister. And that's the incredible leadership of Moses. And that's important for you to see here because we're going to go into one of the greatest sins of the nation of Israel, and they're going to be punished harshly and you need to realize in this passage that if you haven't figured it out by now, God punishes to restore people. And God is incredibly quick to be merciful and forgiving. Yes, there are punishments. Yes, they are harsh sometimes. Yes, yes sometimes God says, I've spoken and there is no repentance um, for to escape the consequences. There's always repentance to restore the relationship, but not to escape the judgment all the time. But remember how many times we've come through the story of God and how quickly he is just to say, okay, I'll forgive them. Because God's first and primary default is to want to love and forgive and restore people. Judgment is always to get you there. And if you don't get that punishment of children or students or family members is all about restoration, then you've missed what true punishment is. Unfortunately, all throughout movies and television and in our culture, most of the time it's just to bring people down. And so this is the character of Yahweh, and this is how Moses is modeling it and reflecting it as someone who has literally seen God face to face. So Miriam was shut outside of the camp for seven days, and the people did not journey on until Miriam was brought back in. And after that, the people moved from Hazaroth, and camped in the wilderness of Paran. 